Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is What God Reckons by Pastor Sean Wood. Open the eyes of our hearts this morning that we would all see more of you. Lord, I'm reminded of the words of Ezekiel that says, The Lord God spoke to me, and as he spoke to me, his spirit entered into me. Lord, I pray today that you would speak to people here this morning. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would so enter us. Help us to see more of Jesus in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. We're going to have, as I said before, we're going to have a time of coming around the table after the sermon this morning. But if you've got your Bibles, you'd like to meet me in Romans chapter 4. This morning, I want to tell you what it is that God reckons. Anyone ever wondered what God reckons? The accountants, the bookkeepers, and those with a financial brain are beginning to think, I think I know what he's talking about. But uh, we haven't been in Romans for a little while, so I want to do uh, not only where have we been, but I want to do a little bit of where are we going. I need two volunteers this morning, uh, two strapping young people. How about Tasman and Sam? How about you come up here? Yeah, clap your hands. Yeah. It's all right, you don't have to do anything funky, it's all right. If you, if you want to break out in dance, that's okay. It's all right. So this is the long and the short of it. No, I'm only joking. Come on, Sam, if you can stand over here for me, Sam. Tasman, if you can stand here. This is Tasman, everybody. Now, I want to tell you where we've been so far. You see, the gospel message is that at one point in time, we had God and man together. But something happened and there was now something between both God and man. And that thing is called sin. And the the relationship that they once enjoyed was now broken and fractured. That's the message of the gospel. That's the first part. But now the problem is that man sees that they're over here and God makes it well aware that you're over there. That's what the old covenant is. The old covenant is, I'm here and you're over there. And here's what it highlights, that we have sin in the middle. And here's another thing it highlights. You can't get from there to there on your own. But we're stubborn, aren't we? So men think, well, I'll get back to God by my own reasoning and works. And and this is what Paul's challenging, because each person is thinking, "I'll I'll just turn up to church every Sunday. And I'm slowly moving closer and closer back into righteousness with God, back into right standing with God. That word righteousness is a positional word. And maybe if I just give money, I'll inch a little bit closer to God. But but what the gospel highlights is, and what Paul wants everybody to know is, if you think by what you do, you're getting closer to me, you are moving, he says, but you're moving this way. And you're actually getting further away from me. But here's the beautiful message of the gospel. The message of the gospel, I need some tissues because I'm getting a little bit emotional this morning. The message of the gospel is God says, I've got righteousness. Now, let's say you all woke up tomorrow morning, I think this would apply for most people, and there was a million dollars in your bank. Somebody puts a million dollars in your bank. Most of us would think, how did they get there for a start? And what did I do? To, what did I do? I didn't ask anybody for a million dollars. I didn't tell anybody to give me a million dollars. I haven't earned a million dollars, but it's in my account. What that means is somebody has reckoned a million dollars to your account. 
And what God says is, I haven't got a million dollars. God says, you know, I, I, I've got more than a million dollars. But he says, I've got something far more valuable than a million dollars. He says, I've got righteousness. Let's pretend that this is righteousness. And God says, this righteousness is not just a flippant word. It's actually a positional statement. It's where uh, two people stand side by side and there's nothing between them. You know, when you've had an argument with one of your friends and, and, you know, they kind of, you don't see each other as much anymore because there's something between you, you're out of righteousness. But righteousness is there's nothing between us and we couldn't do anything about what was between us. But God says, you can't get this. There's nothing you could do. That's the message that Paul's got for everyone. There's nothing you can do to earn this. So he says, instead... God says, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you my righteousness. Jesus didn't come to make people righteous. (laughs) He came to be our righteousness. Jesus said, I can't make you righteous. I'm going to give you my righteousness. And that's called reckoning. Or it's called imputing. Or it's called uh, a, a deposit. It's where God says, I'm going to give you this righteousness. Now, how many people here know that if a million dollars was in your bank right now, it's completely useless to you unless there's some kind of transaction? And that transaction is what we call faith. And I'm not a universalist. We'll cover off why that's the case when we get to chapter 5. But there is a universal invitation. God has put righteousness in the account of every single person who believes. And the transaction is, it sits there and it's of no use to you unless you lay hold of it by faith. Thank you to my volunteers. I was God, by the way, if everyone was wondering. I know that's not hard to believe, it's not a stretch. And for a moment I'm going to put righteousness down, but if you need to draw your eyes on righteousness later on, you just let me know. And today I want to talk about, that's where we go, but today I want to talk about faith because so many people tell us what faith is and there's some weird and wacky ideas of what faith is out there. <laughs> oh, this, uh, I mix in pastoral circles, I love them. We've got some great pastors in 808. We've got some great pastors in the Redlands. But friends, I have heard some weird and wonderful ideas of what faith is. And today, let's have a look at what the Bible tells us faith is because it's very, very important. This word reckon or this word count is used seven times in 12 verses. I think Paul is trying to tell us something. And if we want to be justified or if we want to be righteous, then it's not by what you do. We're going to cover that in a moment. It's not anything that you can do. God's given it to you, but he reckons or he he puts this to your account to those who believe. It's kind of like... It's kind of like Prince William for a moment. Uh, imagine Prince William. He, do you know he goes in and out of the castle whenever he likes? He goes up to the Queen whenever he likes? Do you know he eats with the Queen? Who cares, right? Most of us that aren't English are like, <laughs> who cares? Uh, but uh, he has a position before the Queen that the rest of Britain does not have. And if you're Welsh or Irish, you definitely don't have it. You see, the gospel got great traction in the United Kingdom. Why? Because the Welsh like to sing about it. The English like to talk about it. The Irish like to fight about it. And the Scottish loved it because it was free. (laughs) 
But imagine for a moment that, that Prince William walks out to just any old Joe Blow on the street and says, you know what, I have this position before the Queen and I'm going to give it to you. Now you can go in and, out, and believe you me, those Queen's guards, they might stand there still, but you try getting in the castle when you're not supposed to be there. He says, I'm going to give you, you can come and go as ever you please. Here's, here's the sad truth. That's exactly what Jesus has done for us, but many of us stay out in the street. And we're waiting for God to come out of the castle. And God says, hey, you come in any time you like. I want to talk about a man because it's the man that Paul uses as an example. He says, chapter 4, verse 1, he says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? And why use Abraham? Well, why not? He, he's considered the father of... They would say, we are children of Abraham. John chapter 8, we are children of Abraham. And they puffed out their chest. And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And everyone's got the abacus out trying to work out, hang on a second, you've only been, that doesn't work out. But he's God. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. And here's what religion loves to do. It loves to boast about itself. Those who are religious love to talk about themselves. Those who are religious like to tell you how spiritual they are. The Pharisees love telling Jesus how spiritual they were. We've come to the temple. We pay our taxes. We're really spiritual. And Jesus said, you're whitewashed tombs. Yeah, go and chew on that. Religion likes to boast, and they like to boast that Abraham, this is the argument they make, Abraham had a righteousness before God because he was a faith hero. He was just a holy, holy man. We're going to find out before the end of today that is not the case. You're going to find some facts about Abraham that might surprise you today. Let's keep moving on. It says, uh, verse 3, for what does the scripture say? And now this is a quote directly from Genesis 15, verse 6, and we will get there in a moment. It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And I want to make another statement that could see me get sacked tomorrow. I'm glad half the board aren't here today, but I could get sacked tomorrow. And the reason is this, do you know that some people believe in God, but I would challenge everybody in this room today to believe the God that you believe in. And I want to explain what that looks like and that transaction looks like faith. But something happened to Abraham. Abraham was called a man who believed and it says that it was reckoned to him as a righteousness. Well, hang on a second. Isn't this a New Testament term? The Old Testament's all about what I do. Paul makes the argument, anybody at any point in time that has ever had a relationship with God, it has always been based on God. And righteousness that is reckoned to us takes all the glory from us and places it right where it should be, right at the feet of the Most High. He's the one that should get all the glory. Because Abraham was reckoned as there was nothing between him and God. Let's keep moving on. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. All the millennials in the room are about to wake up and go, I'm in, right? Because we're going to work. Have a listen to this verse. Verse 4, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. But to the one who does not work, all the millennials went, tell me that again, I'm in. 
Tell me where to sign. I don't have to work. I'm in. Okay. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. We're going to unpack the justifying the ungodly in a, in a moment. But I want to talk about wages and gifts. You see, if, if I do a week's work this week, or if anybody in this room does a week's work, next week you will expect a certain amount of money in your account. And what Paul says is, that's wages. It's not a gift. That person reckons you your wages. You've earned those wages. In fact, if he does not credit those, if he does not reckon those into your account, you're going to be having a discussion. There's been a breakdown in communication here somewhere. Every married man in this place said, I haven't been paid since I was married. At least I haven't seen it. No, I'm joking, of course. Uh, But here's how to know the difference And here's another alarming statement. Do you know, faith can be work. Work, deeds and religion can be summed up like this. Any point in time you place God under obligation, you are working. Hang on a second, Pastor. Isn't faith, doesn't faith mean that uh, I just have to have enough faith and I, I just have to say all the right things and, and if I say the right things and I've got enough faith and I do all the right things, then God will give me what I want. That's not in the Bible. Because you want to know why? God's not obliged to give you anything. Genesis chapter 6, nothing's changed since Genesis chapter 6 where Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Do you know Noah found grace before he even picked up a hammer? Everything that happened after that was because he found grace. But it's a gift. This righteousness before God. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. But to the one who does not work, please go to work tomorrow because that's not what this means. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who does something very extraordinary, he justifies the ungodly. He makes the ungodly righteous. And the Jews are tearing their clothes off right now. How dare you say that? Let's take Abraham for a moment. They think Abraham is the faith exemplar. Really? Yeah, no, faith. He he must have had a great relationship with God and then God called him. No, 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 no. You see, when God called Abraham, he was a moon worshipper. And everyone says, yeah, 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 but when God called him, he was a faithful man and he took off. No, evidence shows that he hung around until his dad died. Yeah, but after all of that, he got on the road and he was following God and yeah, no, he lied to Pharaoh about who Sarah was. (laughs) And he also did the same to Abimelech later on. Oh, no, 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 she's not my wife, she's my sister. Sarah's like, hold the bus. Right? Because he was afraid. God makes a covenant with him. We're going to cover one of those covenants today. God makes another one, the covenant of circumcision, and, and gives him all of these promises that you will have a son. And we, we read here that Abraham believed God. <laughs> in fact, it's the first place in the Bible where the word believes you. So we're going to use that to unpack what it means later on. He believed God. (laughs) But then he decided, you know what? I'm sick of waiting. I'm going to rush the promise of God. And hence we have Hagar. And hence we have Ishmael. And hence we have Islam. When things are born of the flesh, friends, 
So if you're waiting for Abraham to get his life together before God calls him, you might be waiting a long time. And if you're sitting here today saying, I've just got to clean my life up before I come to Jesus and, and, I, and I can't come to church because you know, I've got some challenges in my life during the week, come and sit with the rest of us that have got some challenges through the week. If you're, if you're wondering, well, I'm too imperfect for God, come and sit with the rest of us imperfect people. If you're sitting here today saying, you know what, Pastor, I'm nothing but a control freak, welcome to the club. It's called church. And church is the place where we would rather you come ungodly. Because <laughs> if you walk in here and say, I've got it all together, we've got a problem. Houston. No, no, no. The good news is he justifies the ungodly. He comes to the ungodly. I'll tell you, volunteers, God... God's not waiting for us to come to him. The message of the gospel is, I have come to you and I've justified you. Yes, but I'm ungodly and I don't deserve it. Exactly. That's why it's called grace. Friends, we serve a good God. But this morning I want to cover what faith is because if your faith means I have to be perfect, if your faith says that I just have to believe this and do that and God's got to give, then I want to challenge you today that that's probably not what faith means. If your faith puts God under obligation, I'm not sure that's faith this morning. So let's have a look at what faith is. You know the writer to the Hebrews? You can flick to chapter Hebrews 11 if you want. You can, you can stay where you are. We're going to go to Genesis 15 later on, but... Hebrews chapter 11, the writer to the Hebrews wants to cover off what faith is because it's very important. Chapters 3 and 4, he says, you know what the problem with the Israelites was? They all died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. And those that went into the promised land, two from that generation, by the way, they went in because of belief. And he goes on to say that you are living outside the promises of God because of your unbelief. So what is faith? We hear all these things and it's hard to define faith, isn't it? In fact, we're given three verses in the whole of the Bible where someone said, you know what, I'm going to take a stab at it and try and define faith. But the best way we define and understand faith is by expression. And so the writer goes on after the three verses and says, you know what, this is what it looks like in the life of Abraham and Noah and Abel and all these other people. So let's have a look. There's a few key words here. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the assurance. Faith is the substance, says some translations. Faith is the confidence of things hoped for. What does that mean? It means that if God promises you that you will build a house, then hope is the blueprint and faith orders the materials. What the writer is saying is, if you guys have got faith, don't ever forget James, by the way. James was combating a lot of people that were hanging around going, you know, I've got faith, James. I go to church every week. I'm really spiritual and I've got lots of faith. And James says, but I never see you get out of church. I'm over here feeding the widows and helping the poor. That's faith, he says. He says, if you guys have got faith, let's see it. And that's what faith with an assurance has. It's like, well, if we're going to build the house, God, then... I'm going to order the materials. So faith is an assurance. It is a, a confidence in, for things hoped for. It is a conviction of things not 
seen. C.S. Lewis says, you know, I'm convinced of Christianity as I am the sun. Why? Because, not because I can see it, but by Christianity I see everything. What C.S. Lewis is saying is, you know, when the sun comes up, all of a sudden the darkness goes and everything makes sense to me. And he says, now that I can look at the world and the universe around me through the Bible, I have an understanding now, I see everything. Everything makes sense. It is the certainty in this life, it is the certainty in this world of what we can't see. Let me give you an example that we might understand. Let's think of a baby for a moment. Now... I know they come out and they look like these weird little aliens with all these gangly limbs everywhere, but apart from that, let's, let's take the baby for a moment as an example. That baby is inside the womb for nine months. doesn't know how it got there, but it's there. It's like, what am I doing here? I don't know. Mum's had coffee again, you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, for that baby, its whole world consists of this little space here. This baby kind of is thinking maybe there's something bigger than me, maybe there's something outside of us. This seems this can't possibly be all there is. But for that baby, at that point in time, everything that it can see, everything that it can hear, everything that it can touch consists of this little thing. But in reality, there's strong evidence that there's another world and there's a better life. That this isn't all there is. There's strong evidence because we can hear these strange voices. What's these voices? And of course, we on the outside, we're thinking to ourselves, if we could communicate to this baby in which we talk, but it doesn't understand our language, that rocks right on through the teenage years, by the way. You just talk to your teenagers and they just don't understand. It starts in the womb and it keeps going. But what we find is that if we could speak to that baby in the womb and describe this, there's something more real. There's something more tangible. Yes, you can see all of that, but... It's kind of like us. We, we kind of exist in this world. And what faith is, it's faith is the assurance that something lies outside of us. And actually, I think that's a very beautiful picture that, you know, we live this life and for us Christians, we have a beautiful hope. Why? Because death is not death. It's really just another birth into the real world. And for those that have read the C.S. Lewis books, the Narnia series, you're going, yeah, I get it now. And faith is living today with the certainty of a world that exists. I can't see you, God, but I know you're there. I can't touch you with my my hands, but you touch me. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, the evidence, the reproof or the proving. Faith is based on evidence. By faith we understand or by faith we perceive with our minds. That's what that understanding is. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is the problem that atheists have got today. Atheists have got a universe in front of them that they have to say, if there's no God, then everything around us came about by... Well, well, they're saying something came from nothing. Now, look, I wasn't very good at school. And I wasn't much of a mathematician, but I don't think you have to be a mathematician to realise that doesn't make a whole lot of sense and that doesn't add up. By faith we understand that God... And if you're sitting here today saying, what do I have to do that I can receive a good report, that word commendation there, 
For by it, the people of old received their commendation. They lived a life of faith. They lived today with the certainty that God and a real world existed outside of themselves. So what does that look like for us? I would like to, I would like to offer the best I can for, for the three stages of faith. I think they're very important and I want to use scripture and I want to go back because one of the, one of the principles for soundly interpreting scripture is you always go back to the first place of mention. Now, if you want to know what worship looks like, go and read Genesis chapter 22 because that's the first place worship's mentioned. And it's not about, Chris Tomlin wasn't there, by the way. And Hillsong wasn't there. But it's a story I tell my boys often because if they're ever going on a hike with me and I've got some wood with me, I brought them into the world, Michael, and I can take them out. (laughs) Best of luck, he says, absolutely. Well, Isaac was still here. But Genesis chapter 15 is the first time we see the word believe. So let us just read the passage and I'll, I'll highlight some observations for you as we do. Chapter 15, verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And your wife as well, apparently. And and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Note that part. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Told my boys, you are my heir. You will receive the inheritance. One will get the power bill. One will get the mortgage and one gets the car payments. When I go, that's my, that's my gift to you. God bless you. <clears throat> Verse five, and he brought him outside, underline that. He brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And verse 6, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. I'd like to take you through what I consider to be the three stages of belief and faith. First one is realisation. If you're taking notes today, write down the word realisation. Realisation is where each stage is important, by the way. But realisation is the point where we receive information. Have a look at verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. The word of the Lord came to him. Information. I want to tell you today, there's two other steps. But if you want to increase your faith, you need to start at stage one. If you want to increase your faith, you need realisation. You need to increase the information. You need to get into the Word of God. You need to be reading books. You need to be soaking in sermons. Do whatever you have to do so that God's Word comes in. But how many people here know, and every married man will say, yeah, I'm getting it. How many people know there's a difference between hearing and listening? Realisation requires you listen. We receive a bountiful amount of information. Not all of it we take on. Realisation is information that we receive. Have a look at the next part. This next part is enormously important for us as each individual. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Verse 5, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. Stage 2 is visualisation. 
First, we receive information. I'm going to use the process of salvation here this morning to try and highlight. But this is not a one-time event. This is an ongoing... uh, The life of faith is a posture that we live. So we start at realisation. Then visualisation is where it goes from our head to our heart and it becomes a conviction. So we've gone from realisation to visualisation or revelation. When God reveals himself, there is implications to that. And it's where we receive the word of God and then it becomes a revelation to us. And the last stage is we move from visualisation to expression. And expression is where all that we realise and has become a revelation to us transacts in our life. Here was what the problem that James had. James said, you know what? You guys are stuck in, ver- in stage one and stage two. You guys think that faith is all about the information you put into your mind and you think it's all about, yeah, we get it, we've got the revelation. James says, you know what? If you've got the realisation and God's giving you the visualisation, let's see a little bit of expression. And here's the other way to get it wrong. Start at, verse, start at stage three and try to come backwards. You can't do it. So many people say, you know what? I know what it means. I know what this is. And we jump in here and we've got no revelation. This is what it looks like when, the Holy, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're, we're walking around like chickens and making dog noises. No, you've started at number three and you've missed the first two. And each stage is important. Each stage is different. You know, realisation is different. So salvation, salvation looks like this. Somebody comes to you and says, you know what? Here's the gospel message. Jesus Christ has died for your sins. You can have a righteousness with God. That information, how many people here uh, have shared their faith and realised that about eight out of ten people will go, whatever you crackpot and keep walking. Yep, that's most of us. But for the other two that go, you know what? I got it. They listen. It comes to the visualisation. Visualisation is where that message becomes real to me. Man, oh, I, I, I've got sin in my life and if I die today, I don't know where I... I need Jesus. That's visualisation. Expression is, I'm going to walk out the front and get this kooky looking dude to pray for me because I need Jesus. And that doesn't happen once in our lives. It continues to happen. So you continue your Christian walk and you're receiving information and you're reading one day that, that God is Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Oh, and then the revelation, then the visualization comes. Well, 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 if God is my provider and He's the overjirer, then I just need to trust Him and He'll take care of me because Jesus said, "Consider the lilies of the field." Okay, I don't need to worry. The expression of that is, you know what, God, I'm going to put my money in like you have asked me to do, and I just trust you to take care of everything else. But then, but then back here, we, we might say, well, you know what, um, Jesus, you healed people in the Gospels, and I've got some ailments in my body, and, and you know, uh, it's all by grace, but that's okay. But I, I'm coming to you in prayer. So Jesus moves from being a healer to being your healer. Jesus has to move from being a saviour to being your saviour. And that's the difference between believing in God and believing the God you believe in. Let me quickly finish this morning. Because I've been gas bagging for far too long. Everybody said amen. I've missed half the points. Got all excited, see? I want to bring you to the last point. 
The best definition of faith was actually given to us in Hebrews chapter 10. Let me read it for you. You don't have to go there. But you see, we, were, we are the ones that put the chapter breaks and the verse breaks in. They weren't originally there when they wrote it. Chapter 10, he comes to the end of a chapter imploring us to draw near to God. And in verse 39, he says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. You know, the problem with Israel in the desert was, in the wilderness was, they kept on wanting to go back to Egypt. But we're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith, keep moving and preserve their souls. I would encourage everybody here that believing God is not a one-time transaction. Believing God for Abraham, believing God for us is a posture of life that we adopt where we don't shrink back. He goes on to give us the examples of people like Abraham and people like uh, Abel. Don't shrink back. These are guys that tore down kingdoms, executed justice, he goes on to say. I want to encourage everybody here today. God reckons you righteous. Nothing between you and God. To those who believe him. Do you believe in God this morning or do you believe God? I'm going to pray after we come around the table of the Lord. Can you pass me the microphone, please? Serge, can I invite you to come up and lead us around the table? The idea is this morning that as we briefly come around the Lord's table that each of us will take time to reflect. It's a time to just sit between... You and God right now, as we ponder and reflect upon Christ. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today, and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.